0: The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service, nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I say it that way because we have panelists in this session from all over the world, which is really quite an honor to have them with us. I'm Dr. Joel Snyder, Uh, the founder of the Audio Description Project at the American Council of the Blind with the American Council of the Blind and uh, its senior consultant uh, I'm going to start off with a brief self-description, uh, and and I'll have our panelists do that when we get to each of them as well. I am a, a middle-aged white man with a receding hairline. All right, it has receded all the way to the back of my head, <laughs> and there's a fringe of silver hair reaching around to a, a silver and white mustache and full beard, uh, which of course hides a multitude of. Chins. It, it's a pleasure to be bringing you this panel, the Audio audio Description Research Panel, and um, I am so excited uh, to have these three individuals joining me to talk a bit about uh, uh, audio description and the latest research happening around the world. Um, I'll mention each of them right now, and then I'll have a few remarks, and then we'll get into the uh, substance of our panel. Uh, first, uh, Dr. Pilar Oreiro who um, is a, just a dear friend and someone I admire so greatly. I think of her as one of the founders of audiovisual translation and audio description research in the world. Uh, it's focused in Europe. Dr. Orero is based at the Universitat Autònoma de Barcelona, and it is um, marvelous to hear from her about the research she's been doing, uh, the research her colleague, Dr. Ana Matamala, has been doing, and all of the students at the university in Barcelona. We also have with us Dr. Joselia Neves, who is a professor at the Hamid bin Khalifa University in Doha, Qatar, uh, she's in Portugal with us uh, this summer. This summer, she hails from Portugal, and that's where I first met Joselia. Golly, fifteen, twenty years ago, when there was a whole group of audiovisual translation experts together, considering putting audio description in as a part of audiovisual translation. God bless them all. They 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 basically took information back to their universities and created these programs. Dr. Neves has I've especially enjoyed her research of late in description in museums. Uh, she's proficient in all different areas of audio description research. And then finally Rosie Notaly. It's so great to have Rosie with us because she's coming up in the world as a researcher. She's a fifth year PhD student at the Singapore Management University, researching, uh, in particular, cost-effectiveness and audio description, which is critical, of course, always, money. And she's based in Michigan uh, this summer. I wanted to briefly just talk a bit about my own background and relationship to research in audio description, which is basically to say it it ain't a lot, uh, really, because I don't think of myself as an academic. I have a PhD from Pilar's program. At the University Autonoma de Barcelona, it basically was based on five years of work developing a book on audio description. That was then uh, my dissertation later, then printed as a book of uh, a visual made verbal, a comprehensive training manual and guide to the history and applications of audio description. And I'm so excited to say that it's now available in Braille, it's available in two audiobook uh, copies, it's available in As of this fall, seven languages. Italian will be the newest edition uh, this fall. My work with audio description, I don't even want to say necessarily research, is based in practice. I've started with description 42 years ago in the world's first audio description service here in Washington, D.C. But description is not really researched in an academic, in a rigorous way. In the United States, and I think perhaps some of that has to do with the research in it is, is akin to research and study in dubbing and subtitling a film, which is obviously so prevalent in Europe and in other countries outside the United States. Here in the United States, we have captioning, certainly, but it's English to English, whereas all the film produced in the United States, if it's to be made accessible abroad, it has to be subtitled. It has to be dubbed. And Pilar and, and others have embraced audio description as a kind of audiovisual translation. So now it's studied in several universities uh, throughout Europe in particular, uh, and in Qatar, um, people are getting master's degrees, uh, PhDs in the study of audio description. And I just have to say, I have learned so much by having the opportunity and the honor of being able to speak at some of these conferences where these scholars uh, present. Uh, I present sessions based on my practice of audio description, but boy, I learn a great deal uh, from the folks at, uh, for instance, ARSAD, the Advanced Research Seminar in Audio Description, which is Pilar and Dr. Matamala's uh, baby. Uh, It is held in Barcelona every two years. Is that right, Pilar? It is really, I think, the only place focused solely on audio description research, and it, it is an amazing. I'm I'm honored to be able to present there each uh, session and and learn so much from uh, the scholars that are part of ARSOT. Media for All is another important conference uh, where audio description is a significant part of what's studied. It is uh, in a different. Uh, country every two years. Uh, in fact, it's coming up right soon in early July this year in Antwerp, uh, Media for All 10. Uh, Pilar, will you be there? Uh, No, I will miss Pilar this time. I'll be presenting on audio description and objectivity, but that's another conference that, again, I commend to people in the United States. If you have the opportunity to go abroad, uh, my friend Matt Kaplowitz in New York at Bridge Multimedia and one or two other folks uh, in the United States will attend these conferences every now and then. And I want to see more uh, compatriots from America there. And I also want to mention the Languages and the Media Conference, which, again, oftentimes has Significant presentations on audio description, and that's also every other year in Berlin. And uh, again, uh, the, the Berlin, of course, in, in Germany, uh, in, and that's where uh, my dear friend Ber- Benica hails. He's in Munich, and um, w- one of the uh, most seasoned audio describers for media also a PhD in audio description. So I mentioned Bernd because uh, um, a lot good good work is going on in Germany, in Spain, in the UK, and other countries as well. Enough of me. I want to turn to our panelists, uh, beginning with uh, uh, Dr. Orero Pilar Arrero, uh from the Universitat Autonoma de Barcelona. Uh, I prepared three questions. Uh, for each of the panelists, and uh, I think I'll take each one, and then have each of you respond in seriatim, uh, if you will, and um, um, just kind of go, go through it that way. And uh, hopefully, we can talk to each other about our responses, and and I will respond. And and by by uh, once we're an hour or so in, uh, or maybe even a little earlier, uh, we'll turn it open to questions from our audience. Uh, So beginning with you, Pilar, well, just very simply tell us about the most recent research projects that affect audio description study or practice coming out of your own work or um, out of the Universitat Autonoma de Barcelona.
1: Thank you for saying such kind words. Uh, Everything that I know about audio description, I learned from you. So how about that? (laughs) And from that, that trip in Portugal, that uh, Joselia Neves organized so many years ago. Oh, yeah, ago. she did. That's right. So thank you very, very much. Yeah, so thank you very much for um, for being always there and being so kind and so generous. Um, I think I would like to describe myself. Um, I'm 64. I'm pretty well-built, as they say. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you understand that, meaning fat. Um, <laughs> yes, I do have loads of hair on top of my <laughs> head. And it is gray. And unfortunately, I don't have any beard. So you can (laughs) see all my chins there. Um, So that's a a reply to your description. And I am wearing glasses. I am in my bedroom because it's very hot, so this is the room that has best... What do we do? What are we doing in Barcelona at the moment? We're doing three main things. The first thing is that we're trying to understand how will auto-description work in the metaverse. Uh, and for that, we are working with the UN and uh, we're working with uh, ITU. I am the chair person for the Accessibility Workgroup of the metaverse. And, uh, this is exactly what we are doing at the, right now. Also, I would like to uh, invite anyone who would like to work on the metaverse to join us. Uh, please send me an email and, um, you are, you would be, it's free to work. So you don't pay, but they don't pay you. So it's completely free. Um, but it is a nice company. You are with people from across the world or you're describing them be in the metaverse with a, guiding yourself, so, for example, identity, who would be the blind people in the metaverse? If all the technology um, allows you to have, um, you can go around um, spaces without any sight issues because the technology is there for you. Do you want to be blind or do you want to be put yourself as non-blind person? That is one of the big issues that we have at the moment. Who would be your avatar? Um, that is uh, one thing that we're working with. The second thing uh, is sustainability. It sounds a bit crazy, but um, yes, the weather is getting hotter and hotter. And one of the issues that we understand is that um, media produces as much um, CO2 as, for example, aeroplanes, the whole of the flight industry. In fact, uh, it's getting worse. It's not getting better because we produce more and more media every time. That is a problem for accessibility because you have a movie and you have to create another file for the description and you have to get another file for sign language, which is another video, and you have to get another file. So in fact, sustainability and accessibility seemed to be opposites. So what we're trying to is to understand how are we going to, if not improve, at least uh, ease uh, this um, accessibility issue that we have at, in other countries that non-speak, not, lang, not English speaking uh, languages. Why? Because as Joel, you've said earlier on, when you produce something in English, it has to be translated into Spanish. And then this Spanish has got to be audio described. And, um, it is cheaper to make an audio description for every time you need one for the same movie as to reuse the one audio description. So you may end up with one movie and nine audio descriptions. Why? For issues of copyright. So that is the third area of research that we're doing. Not not only sustainability, but also copyright and minting. How can we copyright and mint uh, as an F- NFT, for example, an audio description, an audio description, in order to recall it. And not to keep on doing more and more files for to description to say something
0: that is fascinating, especially i'm I'm thinking of the sustainability aspect here, which is not something that that comes to mind. You think sustainability well uh, i I'll, I'll I'll get an electric car uh or i'll I'll recycle or conserve water, but even with regard to exactly the reuse of an audio description track or the multiple versions. I mean, some would say, well, we want to have multiple versions from different perspectives. And I understand that as a concept, as an idea, but what you're getting at is the the con- conservation of resources. And, and that is mm-hmm. something that hasn't been discussed uh, in the United States, to my knowledge. Uh, and it's really quite wonderful to hear of your work doing that. I know I knew of it and contributed a little bit to it uh, a couple of years ago. Let me ask you a question about copyrights though, since uh, that's another part of your research, as you know, in at least half a dozen countries, there have been developed apps that allow uh, an individual consumer of description to download, you download an app and then download to it the audio description track of a film. Ergo, you you're, you can access description with your own smartphone. The smartphone, actually, the app hears what's going on in the film uh, in your home or in a theater, and it automatically syncs it. It's just amazing technology, I still think. In the United States, at least, the the main app doing that is called Spectrum Access. And I know that they've had difficulties getting the rights, getting access to the original soundtrack of the film's permissions to then use it on their app. Uh, they have perhaps three, four, five hundred 500 films. And we, of course, know there are many, 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 many thousands of films that have already been described. What do you think about that, Pilar? The copyright issues, is there a way to uh, incentivize, encourage film producers uh, to work with Accessibility via a, an app like Spectrum Access or Movie Reading in Italy or et cetera. There are several others. A new one in South Africa. What do you think about that? I think it's basic.
1: I think producers should take audio description and captioning and sign language from the very beginning yes. of the movie or whatever they're doing. And then if they somehow they can watermark, I don't know how, this audio description, um, then the, then the reproduction, the translation. The, first of all, they would have control over what it is done. They yep. would control. So they would know how many times this audio description that they've created in English originally, then it's been translated, it's been used, is being been played, is being been replayed. I don't know if people, if producers yep. have got the, the, the right information about how much is their movie distributed. Legally and illegally. Yeah. If you watermark it, you would know exactly who is um, distributing it. Do they have the rights? If they don't have the rights, then you have the possibility of doing something about that. Yeah. And also the production would be much, much better.
0: I love the notion of building in the description from the get-go. Uh, description is not taught in film school. And it should be, and, and it should be considered as the kind of art form I commend to everybody. Go online and pick out, find, find Stevie Wonder's So What the Fuss. Started out as a straight music video and Mr. Wonder Genius that he is commissioned and worked with the describers to produce a described version voiced by his, his friend, the rapper Busta Rhymes, so that it's in perfectly in consonance with the film. Um, it's a great example of building in audio description from the beginning. And then you don't have to worry about the sustainability issues of nine versions coming out. Thank you so much, Pilar. Uh, Joselia, Dr. Neves, uh, thank you first for, to Pilar for mentioning. It, it is it's thanks to Joselia when she was working in Portugal to bringing us all together, uh, what was it, 15-some years ago, Uh, and that really, I think, gave a a chance to birth the study of audio description throughout Europe, uh, throughout the world. So, thank you, Joselia. Tell us what you're doing uh, with respect to description research in Qatar or uh, in Portugal.
2: Like Pilar, I have uh, little round shades, little round glasses, (laughs) Um, gray hair with the big difference that mine is curly and long while Pilar's is, uh, rather short. Um, I'm also very happy with the scones I have every morning. So, uh, very happy to have <laughs> that little extra that makes us be called chubby. <laughs> Anyway, uh, back to thanking you, Joel, for um, having set us on this journey of discovery and for um, being that person who is constantly and generously calling on us to move forward and to be part of what is, in fact, your world and the world that you shared with us. So we will forever be grateful and indebted to you.
0: Thank you so much, Jocelyn. I will say it is the world that really belongs to the consumers of description, people who are blind. It was really put together by a blind woman, Dr. Mm-hmm. Margaret Van Steele, and a blind man, uh, Chet Avery. Uh, it, is, it, it is really their world, and they are so involved with it these days, too, in the production of description. So I, I always want to stress that.
2: Um, you made it our world, even <laughs> if it was not yours before it became ours.
0: Anyway, it's a
2: shared world. Yes. Okay. Um, so what exactly am I doing? Nothing as exciting as what we've just heard uh, from Pilar. Um, <laughs> I'm actually at a phase of reflection because we had a very hectic and uh, highly demanding and productive phase uh, just a few months ago with the Qatar World Cup, where we produced uh, for the first time in the Arabic language. And um, I would say among the first times um, in many countries, (laughs) we had live audio description of um, events, of opening and closing ceremonies. Wonderful. And we had um, descriptive commentaries for every single football game during the World Cup and that came into languages um, and it has given us a lot of food for thought uh, at a number of levels and that's exactly what we are doing now. We have taken all the stock, all the material that we collected, that we produced during the World Cup and we are now analysing it Um, and we are analysing at a number of levels. Um, First and foremost, uh, one of the the strings of uh, discovery we are trying to to pull and uh, thread is the actual notion uh, and how different or similar are uh, sports uh, descriptive commentaries to what we have traditionally called audio description. Um, And we've come to realize that they are worlds apart. Uh, interestingly enough um, we were trained by people from the cafe uh, institute uh, that works with FIFA and um, we had an expert uh, who came and trained our describers and he did not want to take on a single audio describer as into his team he chose to have sports commentators and to train those so um, there was a huge clash in approach and you can imagine that me coming from the Joel Snyder tradition (laughs) talking to um, somebody who is totally against having audio describers as football commentators um, we had fascinating conversations and the training itself. Uh, is now being analyzed because it goes so much against what we have learned or have believed to be audio description. So that is one of the domains that we are uh, uh, analyzing. The other one is the actual the text itself, the description itself, and um, how one is so extremely functional. Uh, uh, where um, in the football game what we really want to know is where the ball is at every precise moment and where exactly on that um, pitch uh, and who exactly is coming from what angle. Um, And there is no space for what we call creativity, what we call artistic uh, um, input, Um, And how different it is from what we do in film, what we do in theatre, what we do in live performances, as were those of the opening and closing ceremony, or what we are doing in art museums, or even in books. So that takes us to the other area of research, which is, again, looking at how close or apart are all these different genres within the big audio description genre, which apparently, uh, and I have not concluded anything just yet, we are talking about quite um, a big array of different uh, objects uh, that require different skills uh, that will be leading to different outputs And will require, obviously, different training approaches as well.
0: That's so interesting. I mean, there's a a good bit of sports description by audio describers in the UK, not so much in the United States. Um, In fact, I've had people who are blind talk to me about preferring to simply listen to the radio, not television, radio commentator. Uh, for a particular baseball game or uh, uh, american football that that kind of thing, um, audio description is sometimes re- referred to as as akin to uh, r- radio drama, and there 's an important distinction though because radio drama is created so that everything is heard and understandable through the ear. Everything is aural, A-U-R-A-L, whereas audio description is taking work that has not necessarily been created with that in mind. You'll have 10 minutes in a film that is strictly visual. So audio description is making that visual verbal akin to uh, the play-by-play that sports announcers go through. and some are real good. Some are not so good uh, as with anything. I wonder if there isn't a middle ground, Joselia, whereby um, you have people who are sports commentators who learn about language the way an audio describer learns about the use of words and the use of their voice and the use of, of, of identifying key visual elements Those sports commentators trained in those aspects, describers, of course, have to be Renaissance people. They have to know about everything. And sure, they probably don't have the same kind of background uh, in football or we say soccer in the United States that those sports commentators have. But I wonder if there's some way to a middle ground or something rather than a clash.
2: I would imagine that there is scope for that middle ground and there is a need for that middle ground. But it is definitely a different genre altogether. Uh, And whereas the audio describer is somehow requested to remain in the shade, in the shadow, just adding that little extra to make the um, original text come to life, I find that with the football commentator, he becomes a show. (laughs) 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 And it's very interesting that I'm saying he becomes a show. Because we had a number of uh, female uh, candidates who were failed, who were not allowed to commentate because somehow women appear not to have the skill Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness.
0: <laughs> so oh, my goodness. So this
2: opens a new uh, area for discussion as well. Yeah.
0: There's got to be a um, middle ground. I, I oftentimes say people don't go to a play to hear the description. They go because they want to experience the play. So do you go to a a soccer game, a a football game, to hear the commentator or to experience the game? And I know some commentators are bona fide stars, uh, and that's fine for them. So anyway, you're right. There's a a difference in culture, perhaps. Absolutely,
2: yes. Oh, my. -hmm. A lot to learn
0: yes yes thank you so much rosie natalie i know that a good bit of your research and work has already been focused on cost effectiveness with description tell us a bit about that or, or other projects that you've been working on at the singapore management university
3: okay yeah so hi everyone so i'm rosie i'm actually i'm a 30 year old asian woman with, uh, shoulder length of black hair, wearing a thin frame glasses and kind of me wearing a navy sweater because like Joel said, Michigan <laughs> summer is, yeah, different. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And thank you, Joel, for the opportunity once again to be here and share my, um, uh, uh, share with everyone about my research. So as Joel as, has mentioned that, uh, we've been, I mean, me and my advisor have been uh, doing a lot of research that uh, try to come up with more cost effective, uh, like solutions. Okay, because a little bit of background. So currently, I'm doing a PhD in th- that focuses on the intersection between human computer interaction and accessibility. So we try to basically create and like the technology to Uh, generate audio description and what, uh, what we want to promote is about the cost effectiveness. So as we know that producing audio description is very expensive because currently the gold standard is hiring professionals. So, uh, it is not only about the, uh, like monetary cost, but we also talk about the time, uh, cost because like all these professionals needs to, uh, yeah, come with the script, come up with a script and then also need to record their own voice, which is there a lot of like times that needs to be taken in order to generate a good audio description and also the video editing. So that's why with uh, the system that we built, uh, okay, it wasn't commercial yet, but uh, uh, the prototype that we built was to try to engage with novices that doesn't have any, any experience in writing the audio description which is notably more like cheaper that definitely than the experts to contribute to write their own script because they can actually watch the video and then come up with like multiple uh, like uh, like with the descriptions about the scenes and then um because we know that they don't have any knowledge in writing the good audio description. So we try to build a system to give a feedback for the, all the offices to create the audio descriptions. So, uh, in the initial phase, what we did was we do like all the manual, like, uh, human feedback. So in that case, we bring out like multiple sighted people to come like and check their visual, uh, uh, like visual descriptions and then like maybe they're missing out some informations and then like all other cited people will be able to give a comments and then the novices that come with the original audio description will be able to revise those descriptions. And other than getting the feedback from the sighted people, we also get the feedback for the blind people itself who actually the users. So they come up, they listen to the first version of the audio descriptions, and then they actually give the feedback about, oh, I, I don't understand this part. Could you elaborate or something? So this is something that... Um, uh, the novices can take into account and then revise their audio description before coming up with the, uh, like the final version of the audio descriptions. So, um, this way we, uh, we were able to generate the audio description. In a good quality, uh, like better quality than the previous version, because we got these inputs that allows the novices to, yeah, uh, like revise and, yeah, like do some kind of iterative process to get the final version. And also this feedback also comes from the blind people, which is the actual users of audio descriptions, which Again, like enhance the quality of the audio description and because they are novices, so they are definitely cheaper than the time people, uh, the, sorry, than, than the experts. And then because we actually use, uh, text to speech technology, which I think we will discuss later. Uh, so to kind of like generate the voices. So we also like cutting down, um, like the amount of time and cost to do the human recording hmm. for this yeah. audio description. So at yeah. the end, like in our research, we are able to cut the cost down by 90%, which is very promising. Wow. Yeah. I think okay. So if we compare like this work, uh, with the professional works, definitely it's not apple to apple comparison, but, uh, because of issue with audio description currently is to, is that there are not that many audio description. And we know that nowadays, like, videos become, like, the main media for, like, consuming the information. So we, what we want to promote is that we want to have this kind of, like, like, more quantity of audio description. It's okay. Maybe it's not that, like, high quality standards, but at least, like, it encourages more blind people to like um to get more yeah. access to audio description and also helps the informal creators to be able to incorporate like audio description yeah. in their videos.
0: Yeah, you know, you make me think of uh, a trend in Europe. Pilara and Joselia will know better than I about fan subbing people who are out there who just are amateurs, uh, Mm. the dilettantes who uh, are really into the production of subtitling and they just uh, as a hobby will do that and produce it. And you're absolutely right, Rosie. Nowadays with YouTube and Facebook, there are millions of videos Mm -hmm. that need to be made accessible. How they're not all going to be professionally described. Right. You're familiar with you describe, are you yes. not that put together by our good friend, Dr. Josh Mealy, uh, some years back. And, um, that allows, uh, novices mm-hmm. uh, to contribute description to things like, uh, a YouTube video, for instance, right. uh, and, and put it up to the cloud against the, the video itself and then bring down a described version partly to avoid copyright issues. Mm-hmm. So I understand the need in that world. Um, I wonder about two things, though. When you say audio description is, quote, very expensive, unquote, um, we've done a bit of research there, and and I've heard repeatedly it said that uh, for a professional film, audio description costs less than doing the catering for the film crew for one day. So for a two-hour film, uh, uh, audio description might be, high estimate, $5,000. And we're talking about films that cost $100 million or whatever, or their their advertising budgets alone are 20, 30. Million. So I'm just not sure how persuasive it is with regard to professional filmmaking mm. and that sort of thing. And it's same, same goes with the time issue too. Doesn't it take as much time to take the original script by the novice and then have it vetted by others? That takes a good bit of time Even out of itself, um, when I was producing description for feature films, Mm. um, boy, we'd get a film from some company and they wanted the description back yesterday, (laughs) you know, and (laughs) we would hustle and get it to them in two days, whereas uh, according to some of our estimates, it would take one writer five working days to develop the initial script for a 2 Two and a half hour film, uh, mm. and we found ways to compress that and to have different writers working on the same film. Do you have a reaction to some of some of that uh, that I've, I've shared?
3: Okay, okay. So maybe the first one first about the cost. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I think I forget to mention that uh, we actually uh, focus more on like uh, like more casual videos, yeah, so which right. is those videos that YouTube. are on YouTube yeah. and. Yeah. And I think definitely there is a need to at least have this notion of like audio description. So I'm not sure, but probably we could also have higher like professionals. But if we count how many videos uploaded on YouTube online every day and we see how many professionals are out there in the world, I don't think that's also feasible to hire like all the professionals to you know like to work on the like small projects like all those YouTube videos and stuff. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I think yeah, I think that's about the cost. So yeah, we try to focus on this like quick and version, like first version of audio description. At sure. least like blind people can have it. But oh yeah, about the at the time, time. uh yep. the time issue is that. That's the first research project that we did. So we had like a manual, like a feedback. And then, yes, we agree that, uh, it takes a lot of times to produce because we have to generate the initial version and then get the someone else to give a feedback and then need some another time to iterate the process and then. Also, there is a time buffer between the right, uh, the authoring process and also the feedback process and so on, because and like
0: voicing and audio editing. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So, uh, actually, uh, that issue coming out with the next, uh, like project that we did, I think I okay. forgot to mention. So we tried to come up with this feedback automatically. So that we don't need the need of like human feedback, which is definitely we can reduce the mm. the buffer time of the people to come back and, you know, like do some revision. So that in the first place, when they are writing the audio description, then we give them some kind of automated feedback to tell them, oh, okay, maybe this part you can improve. So something like Grammarly for audio description.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. right. So, well- yeah. That's interesting. And I want to discuss that with you further over the coming months and such. I happen to be a human. Uh, so I am biased uh, toward human <laughs> involvement. Yeah. But AI is everywhere now. Uh, I've, I've asked chat GBT questions about audio description and the use of text-to-speech. And all it does is survey what's out there already, some of which is my own uh, writing about text-to-speech. And so it came out with something kind of dissing. Text to speech, to be honest with you, was kind of one form of AI dissing another form of AI. So, anyway, that's a whole other thing. Our audio description project is focused primarily on the the practice of audio description uh, while acknowledging the importance of formal research, as I stated earlier. How can the various academic audiovisual translation programs and conferences, can they or should they do more to incorporate practitioners? perspectives. Pilar, what do you, what do you, we've talked about this uh, just you and I, but what do you, what do you think about that? The balance or should there be a balance at these uh, research conferences?
1: Yes, definitely. Uh, we need to understand the practitioners. We need to understand their needs, their expectations because they they really have uh, all the know-how on really what's happening. But then practitioners don't I don't think they have the time as Jocelia was mentioning of reflecting on what, right. what's happening, what we, so I think in an ideal world, we should have, um, everything together. We should have the technology. We should have the practitioners and we should have the, the, the end users as well, giving us feedback on, yeah. on how we're going. I mean, as, as Rossi was saying, there are, there is so much media content present um we don't have enough for to describe us to really or to describe all the content that is there you know it's like bread i don't know where you live what is bread Um, uh, but i'm <laughs> in in barcelona there are two types of or three types of bread shops there is the bread that is delicious and you buy in this bread you know and then there is this bread that you buy in the supermarket and there is this <laughs> bread that is like a I don't know what that you buy in these corner shops. All of them are thriving. Um, so to me, there is the good thing is that auto description has become like bread. Everybody knows about that. Everybody's using it. Everybody's consuming it. To me, that's the achievement that 15 years ago, I, they yep. used to, sometimes they call it auto description, like oh. car, you know, <laughs> I, I've been presented in a conference as the auto, auto description <laughs> of and I thought, I have nothing to do with the automobile, you know. <laughs> so I think if if audio description becomes, um, you know, a very common uh service, I think we've achieved it. Um, but definitely your question was, do we need the professionals? The answer is yes
0: that's the answer i wanted to hear thank you Uh, but (laughs) but i love the analogy to bread shops Uh, and maybe that speaks to some of what rosie is is looking into you know there's gonna there's one kind of description that is gonna that you expect from a professional major motion picture uh maybe there's something a little less that comes with the youtube video or whatever um i always strive for an ideal but um yeah you know given resources um Maybe that's not always possible, Joselia. What do you what do you think about that? Uh, practitioners with researchers in the study of audio description.
2: I obviously, Gilad has said uh, exactly what I think and what you all think about. But I would like to add a little extra. So many of us, theoretic teachers, university yeah. professors, <laughs> have become professionals and. I'm among them. I never write about something that I have not done myself. And like yourself, Joel, uh, you have a PhD. Uh, you started off as a professional and you became a scholar. Um, I think that it's not so much about uh, the us and the them, but rather um, this new breed of people who have a foot on either side. They are simultaneously professionals and researchers because this dialogue is incredibly important and it needs to be in the classroom. It needs to be where we train our future audio describers. There's no way anybody can train anybody to do something unless they have done it themselves. So the best teachers will definitely be professionals, but it's not enough just to be a professional. You need to stop or we need to stop and think about what we do. And that's the luxury Uh, of academia.
0: It is. That's right. I guess part of the, the genesis of this question is going to these conferences where I learn so much, but they are predominantly academics. From research universities, and there is that side of things, and I'd love to see more. You know, as I said earlier, Matt Kaplowitz from Bridge Multimedia, and and uh, Wendy Sapp on his staff, uh, where it was at Arsad this past year. Uh, others like that, more more infusion of that professional perspective. Rosie, what what do you think about that? Do you think about perhaps doing description yourself, uh, along with doing the research that you're doing or, or involving yourself with actually production of description?
2: Oh, uh,
3: yeah, I would love to because I've been working on this project, uh, for four years. And I think one of the challenges that I faced was, Okay, so let's say we want to do any research that involves like a good ground truth about an audio description. I need to call an expert to help me generate this so that I can have like a very strong um, like arguments that our audio descriptions that we use as our ground truth come from the experts. But the issue is that uh, in Singapore particularly, there are only nine of professionals audio describers that handles the audio description in Singapore. So it's very hard to get a contact with them, which definitely as an academic researchers, we really want to get like, you know, establish these connections because I believe that our research become more impactful whenever we are able to like, you know, work along together with all yeah. these practitioners and Okay, so maybe the practitioners can help us identify the challenges and we as a technologist help them to generate some technologies yeah. that complement each other works. And I think with that, uh, in the future, then uh, like audio description now then become something very, it's a norm instead sure. of a luxury, you know? Sure. So I guess this yeah, is... Yeah, I think
0: the two worlds definitely can learn. From each other, and there should be more mix uh, happening at the conferences and and, and even in the uh, teaching of description Mm. on the academic or university level. Finally, I want to turn to, uh, I mentioned it earlier, artificial intelligence and what your perspectives are, uh, in particular uh, on text to speech, and how you think that will impact or should impact the practice of, of audio description. Let's go back to Barcelona. Pilar. What about AI? I know you've done research in, in eye tracking, for instance, um, which has implications for what one will describe. Does that contribute to this? Or is it better even or worse or whatever that a human deciding what is best to describe? Go ahead. No, no, no. You're, you're right. <laughs> um,
1: I, I, I was in Glasgow uh, on yesterday and um, Google showed off the usual. Now they have a perfect automatic <laughs> audio describer. And, uh, they've put it on and uh, it is true. I mean, they can describe. I don't know if it was prepared or it was not prepared. I have my doubts only in English. Um, they could describe this beautiful uh, sea landscape. And then the, the blind person could ask, um, and what does the ocean look like? And then they said, uh, the ocean is quiet and there is a mountain behind. So, Description of images. In the same way that you can interact with Alexa. Alexa, tell me, you know, uh, you could you could keep on asking a photograph. But then there are a few problems there. One is that it was just a photograph, static, not movement. So, okay, fantastic. Movies are hardly a frame. It's <laughs> just, just <laughs> millions of <laughs> frames. So that was one right. problem. But the other problem to me is that... Um, I don't know how the engine would cope. Never mind the the spaces that you have uh, to speak; they are sometimes very, very limited, and you can only say very few things. And sure. I don't. I think only a human can decide what is the most important. So it is human intelligence, no artificial intelligence, that can help us there. Not only that. To me, there is a higher level of complexity, which is the movie. What what happened at the beginning? What shouldn't be told? Not to break. Imagine that I know the knife, and this is the knife is going. You've killed the movie. (laughs) Right, 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 right. um, Exactly. um, Engagement. Uh, This high level of um, understanding of narratology. What can be narrated? How we should flow, because at the end of the day, you are putting your audio description as an add-on your audio description. So that, I don't think, is going to be done tomorrow.
0: Yeah, I don't think so either. You're you're preaching to the choir here as a human. We're all humans. Although it did occur to me, maybe we should have had a fourth panelist uh, that uh, invited Alexa. Or we could have invited Siri uh, to to speak to some of these questions and get their perspective. Would they even be able to? I don't know. That's crazy. Uh, Joselia, where are you coming from with regard to AI or text-to-speech and, and audio description?
2: Um, I'm not afraid of the big bad wolf either. <laughs> it's inevitable that we will be using AI to help us to speed up uh, the process to um, give us probably the first impressions to get us going. We have to use it. We have to embrace AI because it is part of life in the future, full stop. Will it be taking our job away from us? I truly believe not. Everything, Pilar, you said, I totally agree with. And when I think of audio description in other contexts other than uh, the um, cinema uh, for mm. film. When I think about uh, inter-sensory experiences where audio description is part of an experience that requires proximal and distal um, uh, senses to engage and come together in this meaning-making Um, where the whole body has to be part and be dancing to this audio description, which uh, gives meaning to the real world, the 3D world around us. I think AI uh, still has a long way to go. It can help. It can help. I'm ready to work with it. I'm very grateful for whatever it can give me to make my life easier. Yeah. But uh, no way. We are still here to
0: stay for a while. I need to learn more, Pilar, about that Google process of actually developing description, Uh, you know, just a whole other world away from just text to speech, uh, which gets away from the voice talent type person. But um, I don't know. My colleagues at audiovisual translation programs, you know, they they know two and three languages and they, they have a foot in the whole world of translation and interpretation. And I hear them talking constantly about. Is Google Translate going to replace uh, the freelance? Tra- is sh- shaking her head, and I I have to agree with you. Uh, having used Google Translate occasionally when I I need to speak to somebody in Spanish and my Spanish is lacking, so I'll I'll write it out in English and I'll put it in Google Translate or vice versa, and uh, doesn't work real well. Doesn't work well. You can tell, uh, Rosie. W- what do you think about all of this with AI? And you're part of the younger generation. You're coming up. Are you embracing AI, and and it's just going to take over everything from us, or what?
3: Oh, okay, I, mean, I think here because as a as a PhD in computer science, I should be the one that is promoting AI will take out the world. You know, in the future. <laughs> but in fact, like after working on like this project for so long. I still feel that AI will not hundred percent or completely like replace humans in generating audio description per se. But I think, as I think, the both uh, like pillar and Joselia has mentioned is that we can. Work hand in hand with AI to, you know, like sometimes, uh, as a human, we might have like limitation, like we might not as consistent as AI. So probably in that case, AI can help us to be more consistent. For examples, like this kind of level of consistency and so on. I agree. Like it's, it's still not there yet. When we try to generate the, uh, the automated feedback with fully AI, it was.
2: it was Mm, bad mm, like super bad yeah yeah yeah
3: Yeah, no it didn't yeah so that's that's why we in our research we didn't like uh we we still say that ai is not there yet so that's why we are we are helping them to work in hand so that's why we have human to do it and help have the ai to give the feedback so that Yeah,
0: the feedback or, or you know, as Joselia saying, uh, using it as an assist, as an aid, yeah, as a so. help, Correct. if you will. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I'm going to turn 70 in November. And I like to think that AI is not going to take us over in my lifetime. And I'm hoping for another couple decades or something at least. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. so we'll see. We'll see, uh, so to speak. For Pilar. A question about sustainability. Are you comparing the workflow of AD creation, for example, starting in English and then using that as a template for translation and localization in other languages in versus each language creating an AD script? Also, I would like to get more information about the metaverse were. You know, I'll, I'll say real quickly, Pilar, when when I was producing audio description for Sesame Street, um, we, we were given the contract to produce it for sp- the Spanish version, Plaza Sesimo, in uh, the southwestern United States. And initially we thought, OK, maybe we just get the program in English, write it in English, translate it in Spanish, have it voiced in Spanish. We thought about that for about 30 seconds, and then we thought better of it uh, because we decided no 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 no. No, there are cultural sensitivities that have to happen. We need to get native speaking Spanish people, train them in description and have them write from the Spanish program the description in Spanish. But Pilar, what I can go both ways and I know there's been a lot of research on translating or not. What do you what do you think?
1: Whatever you want to do, the workflow can be whatever you want. I mean, if we are preaching that um the audio description should be part of the production if that's what we're reaching in that case um i don't know what joselia thinks but in that case whether we like it or not it has to be starting um in the production stage in english and have one file in english and then we would do like with any translation that we do with and everything is we will localize it we'll then it will be a localized audio description and then it would be read by a voice talent in the language. Joselia, but what do you think about that?
2: This whole issue of a retranslation and using English as a pivot language and using English as a, a template. Pilar, you know how sometimes it really doesn't work. Uh, something as simple as subtitles that uh, need to be uh, adjusted for reading time. If we go into the audio description um, and we add the cultural layer, something which can be so easily described in English for an English-speaking context may require cultural adjustments for the new context. Um, So it will always be a retranslation if we are to go with a template of sorts. But then again, if we are to think of audio description as being part of the actual production, it in itself becomes part of yeah. a source text that cannot be manipulated as easily as it is when we are doing a regular uh, post production audio description. Right. So there are a number of issues that will uh, need to be taken into, into consideration, whichever the approach.
0: Yeah. But Timing. just a
2: direct translation will be very difficult.
0: That's right. And timing is an issue. Uh, what is it? We researched, of course. Uh, saying a phrase in English it takes a certain amount of time. Saying the same phrase in Spanish takes thirty percent longer. How do you adjust for the timing if you're if you if you have even less space in the Spanish version between bits and pieces of dialogue or or critical sound elements? So, yeah, I think the research is ongoing. Uh, I've read both sides, basically. Uh, In fact, spoke to the American Translators Association last year uh, about the use of pivot languages in doing translation, uh, using translation in description. So uh, I can see both sides of the coin there. One thing in particular I'm curious about, um, you know, we're talking about professional describers uh, versus novices and fan subbing versus professional subtitlers and such. Um, What about... Uh, the professionalization of the field of audio describers. I'm very involved right now with a the development of a certification process for audio describers. In fact, we're referring to not describers anymore, but audio description specialists. The reason for that is so many people. Uh, I do it myself. So many people will listen to a film with description, and I'll I'll think, oh, that audio describer, what a what a beautiful voice. Well, no, the audio describer, as in the writer of the audio description, is probably not who you're listening to. In media, almost always, it's a separate voice talent, and that's the voice you're hearing and you're loving so much. Um, We're talking about certification for audio description specialists, not people who only voice description, but people who come up with the description in all genres. Uh, as well as people who are quality control experts, meaning it could very well be people who are blind or have low vision, who uh, assist, not just assist, even uh, contribute to the writing uh, of the audio description. People who are blind can be expert writers. Uh, what, what do you think about, has there been much talk in other countries about certification? I know the UK had um, the beginnings of that kind of program at the Audio Describers Association, but uh, I'm not sure that they've carried through with it. We've been working on this for four years and we've got another two years to go because we want to be sure we've heard everybody's concerns, that it's legally defensible. Um, can any of you speak to that, the, the idea of certification in audio description, professionalism in general?
2: I think that we can start talking about professionalization when we already have a reasonable body of professionals so that standards can be gauged and arrived at, and uh, the criteria for such a certification um, are there. uh, But put together, as you say, it's a matter of four or six years and you're working on it. I'm thinking of Brazil, for instance. They have probably Um, the greatest number of audio description specialists, Hmm. as we call them. And among them, we will have script writers, the voice talents, and what they call the consultant uh, (laughs) audio describers, who are normally the blind um, audio describers within a team. Now, I believe that they are looking into certification because it's become so um common for any blind person to become a consultant <laughs> uh even if they don't really know what they what audio description <laughs> implies uh, in the technical sense
0: simply being blind does not make you an expert in audio description exactly right, right.
2: so Clearly, there is a need for um, some sort of certification, as there would be for any other profession within the translation domain. And we will always have the experts, we will have the high quality professionals, and we will have those who will be doing the best they can for whatever reasons they are working uh, sure. and providing the audio description. And all there is space for everybody there but we would need a regulating body and I wouldn't see it as a national one as such, because these standards, I would imagine should be transnational. The principles of audio description and of any profession as this is look, being looked at, uh, I would uh, imagine is not about space.
0: Yeah. There are styles that one associates with the UK, with Germany, with America, um, but I like that idea of transnational. The group that's working on it here is called ACVREP, the Academy for Certification of Vision, Rehabilitation, and Education Professionals. They do certification for orientation and mobility uh, experts, for instance, and other aspects of blindness uh, therapy and services and such. So they've taken on description and uh, I- the the. Subject Matter Expert Committee is headed by a blind woman, Kim, Kim Charlson. Uh, and I've been on that committee with uh, about a dozen others. Um, yeah. It, wow. I, I, I'm going to take that back. We did a whole session on certification yesterday. Uh, I'm going to take that back to ACVREP, the notion of, wow, could could this be expanded transnationally? Um, what what about the possibilities there? Pilar, yeah, well. Please.
1: In Europe, we have the European Certification Quality Agency, and that is developing the Audio Description Professional Certification. We've already finished the one for live subtitlers, and that is for any European country, as Joselia was saying. It doesn't matter the language. Um, um, And now we're doing the Audio Describer.
0: Where is that based? So, So, yes, I
1: will be in Austria.
0: In Austria, okay
1: and um i will be very happy to put you in contact with them Please. because uh yes they are certifying professional you have to either do the course that they provide and then you take the exam right or if you're a professional you can go and take the exam straight away you pay two hundred dollars or something like that and that's it we even have the questions for the exam for example
0: margot has posted a, a further elaboration to her question the reason for this english to another language translation is to ensure the quality and integrity of the audio description script in case it is translated by someone who does not have audio description training. Just wanted to explain that a bit further she says i understand the language and timing issues i'm currently uh, taking Italian, oh, so she, so she's studying Italian, and yes, she she's aware of the the timing issues there. Can you speak to further to the translation? Yes,
1: uh, yes. Um, the idea there uh, to me was that, for example, if Tarantino directed a movie, it would be Tarantino who made the description. So there are moments when he as a film director would disambiguate the attention, not me, why well, I'm not Tarantino uh, who <laughs> disambiguates <laughs> for him uh, where should be the priority. That is why we believe I, I I fully agree with, with all of you about the time, the culture, the language. Yes, of course. Yes. But if he was like a template that it was done as it is done, a template for the dialogues in a movie. And then this template of dialogues in a movie is, moves into being with those, this workflow that you have to work. Uh, an audio description of Tarantino's uh, movie done by Tarantino? I'm not going to
2: snub at that. But how many filmmakers, how many <laughs> will be Tarantinos who will be exactly. adding the audio description?
0: In in a session this morning, I said, w- w- "Goodness, we need audio description training in film schools." Does Quentin Tarantino even know what audio description is? Who knows? I George Lucas. I had the opportunity to chat with George Lucas himself uh, a little bit, and and he, you know, kind of vaguely, yeah, audio description. Is that like subtitling? Is it? it you know, it, it wasn't quite sure, but he he had some awareness, and yet. Back when I was doing description for feature films on a regular basis, I remember uh, being contracted to do the, the description for one of Woody Allen's films being broadcast on television. And word got back to him, Mr. Allen himself, uh, that said, uh, uh, yeah, they, these, this group is going to be adding words to this movie that you wrote the script for and directed and produced. And his reaction was, no, they're not. I wrote that. No, they're not adding something. Absolutely not. He contacted us, and we explained what we were doing, and oh, oh, blind people, oh, I um uh, uh, okay, never mind. He was already working on two films hence, you know, so he, he couldn't really think about it or be bothered, if, if you will, uh, but boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could work with the Tarantinos and the Woody Allens and the George Lucases and James Camerons of the world to produce the description from scratch? Wow, that's a a hope for the 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 future. Oh, and Margo says a hundred percent agree that producers creators should be involved. Absolutely
2: involved as involved.
0: Teams. Yes, as teams. teams. Thank you all so much, Pilar, uh, Joselia, Rosie. Uh, I feel like I've been traveling the world here. And and we have another session later today, AD, across the globe. So uh, I'll be traveling again. So I think we're just at, at about time. Is that right?
2: Yes, it's 12.15. Thank,
0: thank you, Angela, for your work and help with all of this. Thank you, panelists. And thank you to everyone who tuned in. Thank
1: Bye-bye. you very much.